You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, family. Nice to see you. Uh, For those of us who we don't know each other, my name is Matt Younger, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Very, very nice to be uh, together with you this morning, and we'll continue in our series on Romans. And so uh, thank you, Castles, for already reading our passage. But if you would like, turn in uh, the book of Romans uh, to chapter 4. And then we'll start in verse 16. So um, as you're doing that, you know, I was thinking this week, it's very interesting to watch the things that we uh, collectively put our faith in. Um, So you think about, you know, faith in a uh, Cowboys team post Dak Prescott. Uh, Do we have any possibility for a Super Bowl? Probably not. I'm going to go with probably not there. Uh, faith in whether or not the, uh, the Dallas housing market is ever going to be affordable again. To that, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Um, and then even in this kind of weird uh, moment in time that we're in, I mean, you, you actually have some men and women who, uh, who are going to the polls and really believing that their candidate can and will take us uh, to the promised land. And then you have a number of us who are just really defeated by the whole thing. But um, I think my point is to say this, that faith is essential uh, to our lives. Um, Really, uh, all people, even non-religious people, who say they don't have faith actually still have faith. Um, You know, there are all sorts of truths that we believe um, that we just, that are just ingrained in us that we believe and advocate for, but we actually cannot prove. Even uh, the idea of human rights themselves are not scientifically provable. I believe they're found in the scriptures. I believe uh, that they are self-evident, but they're not scientifically provable. They require profound belief and a profound faith and a belief system. Um, Even if you were to go the other way and you were to say, um, I, I distrust all authority and I rely completely on my own intuition, that itself is an act of faith. Uh, faith is uh, inescapable, to say it another way. I think this is why uh, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia um, you know, always drew attention to Lucy, who was the youngest child. And it was always Lucy who could see Aslan, or who could see what Aslan was doing when the other, kid, when the other children could not. Uh, because, of course, Lucy had faith in Aslan when they still had faith in themselves. And, uh, and so I, I really, I think at the end of our lives, uh, the story will be what we had faith in, uh, because nobody gets a faithless story and, uh, Christianity really even is a big faith exercise. I think this is happening all the time where there's like faith, uh, and maybe we see it this way, like faith as an accoutrement, faith as a side dish, faith as part of who you are. And so maybe your Instagram profile is like, you know, family, friends, football, fiestas, uh, faith, and uh, and I'm not clowning on you if it is. That's probably what mine is too. But um, but I think what Christianity is gonna is gonna show us is that um, really uh, faith is at the core of who we are as Christians, not just a part of who we are. And uh, for the last several weeks, we've been walking through really this bombshell idea that started in Romans three twenty one. Um, that we are justified by our faith and not by our works. And so we get to watch Abraham's story. We continue in this line of talking about Abraham. And really where we've been, as we kind of think about the thesis here, is that we follow Abraham's profound belief in God's promises, 
Because ultimately what this passage is going to tell us is that those who believe him who raised Jesus from the dead will also be found righteous by faith. And we're going to see this in three ways with Abraham, three unique kind of qualities in Abraham. We're going to see it in uh, his reverence, his endurance, and his legacy. So what do I mean by these things? Abraham's reverence, well, he took God at his word. Abraham's endurance, uh, he continued to believe when the facts did not add up. Uh, And then Abraham's legacy, he models this counterintuitive example of how to gain the ultimate reward. So again, we'll look at his reverence, his endurance, and his legacy, and we'll start with his reverence. So let's read uh, 4 and start in verse 16, where it says, uh, again in 16, it says this, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. It is as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Okay, so first thing Paul's going to do here is appeal to a very famous story in the Old Testament. This is the story of Abram who becomes Abraham. So let's just kind of go through some Cliff's notes here, okay? Genesis 12, Abraham is 75, Sarah is 65. God says, hey, go, get out of here, go to the place I'm going to call you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Genesis 15, uh, hey, I know you don't have a child to be your heir, who Abraham obviously is worried about, but you're going to have your own son. I'm going to give you a son. Look toward the heaven, number the stars, so shall your offspring be. And it was famously said that Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as his righteousness. Genesis 17, Sarah, who is barren, is told, you are going to have a son. I'm 100. She's 90. Really? Abraham laughs. Genesis 18, God appears says it's going to happen next year. Sarah laughs. Really? I'm worn out. He's really old. The Lord rebukes them for laughing. Is there anything too big for me? Genesis 21, he's 100, she's 90. They're old and laughing, and Isaac is born. That's the story. I think the operative verse here is 17. The presence of God in whom he believed. What do we mean by that? Well, it's actually belief that sets Abraham apart. Um, He takes God at his word, right? So many in our day, like this is a, I would even say at this point now, a weekly um, uh, headline in the news that some person, some uh, institution, some church has decided that what the Bible has taught and what the church has believed for 2,000 years just isn't true anymore. It's not just happening now. It's been happening for a long time. Uh, But many in our day know what the Bible says and just choose to believe differently. Abraham was not like that. Abraham actually believed. He actually reverenced God. He didn't cherry pick the parts of the Bible that he liked. He didn't stand over the word of God. The word of God actually stood over him. And he believed God, which is a really big deal for us, that we would take God at his word. How big is his faith? Well, Paul says in 17, he says, the God in whom he believes, who gives life to the dead, And calls into existence the things that do not exist. So if you remember in 
um, the cartoon version of Aladdin uh, with Robin Williams' voice, which is my favorite version, um, that Aladdin, as amazing as he is to be able to give three wishes, he actually limits his ability and his power, and he says, well, I can't bring back somebody from the dead. That's kind of beyond my power. But what Abraham, what Paul is saying is that Abraham's belief was in the God who gives life to the dead. And literally that's what he does because Sarah is barren. She cannot have children. And so he's beyond the genie in Aladdin, but it goes further in that he is able to do things in 17. He's able to call into existence things that do not exist. That's the idea of creation ex nihilio. That means that's the Latin for out of nothing. God can create something out of nothing. And so the idea here, how big is his faith, is that there's nothing beyond the power of God. Literally, this God can reach back into death, pull out life, and then create something from nothing. And it's that faith and that kind of God that Abraham reveres. He believes God and he takes him at his word, and so should we. So should we, Um, because the temptations to reverence something else are not new. They started in the garden when the serpent attacked Adam and Eve, and they questioned God's word, and they questioned God's character, and they said, did God really say? And then that has really just kind of snowballed and had its own manifestations all throughout time. In the Enlightenment, it was that surely science disproves miracles. Surely it does. And then even today where a number of people just de facto laugh off the views of our grandparents, that they're just crazy and past tense. And really when you kind of get into that line of thinking, here's why I find it so problematic. What it actually believes, someone who just laughs off what people uh, before us believed, and there are things that I inherited from my grandparents' beliefs that I had to disinherit, okay? So I'm not saying that they were fallible people, but to wholeheartedly reject what people in the past believed and believe that you actually have ultimate wisdom is to say that right now in 2020, we are the smartest people in human history. We are the most knowledgeable people in human. We know more about everybody else. We are de facto smarter and wiser than all of our predecessors, And C.S. Lewis rightly called this chronological snobbery. (laughs) Like we, just, just, just to think that we know because we have this intuition. Again, it's not unique to us. It happened in Jesus's day. Smart people call this counter catechesis where Jesus will say often through the gospels, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Because the thread that continues to run even to our time, and you see this in the life of Christ where Jesus will say, The world follows their feelings. You follow me. Like counterkesis is to say, they believe this, but you follow me. And Abraham, what did he do? He believed in the goodness of God. And so should we. So should we. Um, But he didn't just believe. He didn't just reverence. He endured. Um, To say it another way, he continued to believe when the facts did not add up. Verse 18 In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. I love this, by the way. It's very detailed. Considered his own body, which is good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Again, I think the operative verse here is that he, in hope, 
he, he believed against hope, 18. In hope, he believed against hope. Okay, so here's the promise. Here's the, here's the backdrop. You will, the promise received, you will be the father of many nations and so shall your offspring be. That's what he's hanging on to. But let's be honest, okay? There's an elephant in the room. Let's be honest, all right? He's old. <laughs> She's old, okay? Like, um, yes, their diets were a little more organic, okay? Uh, probably ate, you know, more seasonally back then, right? Didn't have access to what we have access to. And yes, they live longer, but a hundred is still a hundred, okay? And Genesis 18 makes it even more clear that Sarah couldn't have children, that she was past that point in her life. And so, yeah, I mean, um, yes, they were, yes, the, uh, things were different. Yes, they aged differently, but time had passed them by. They were old. And not only were they physically old, they were tired. And they were tired because as much as I know about the shame and stigma of not having family today in 2020, I can't even begin to convey how much more that was true in these days when all you had was your family. And so they tried and tried and tried and hoped that they would have a child and they never did and time passed them by and they saw everybody else experience what they didn't have and their souls were tired and I know there was shame that came with that for them. Things were really hard for them. And yet what does Paul say that how they respond, believing against hope. Verse 19, they did not weaken. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. They grew strong in their faith. Verse 21, they were fully convinced that God could do it. They continued to believe when the facts did not add up. My, uh, I, I, it was, it's our only trip that we've taken to Sugar Land during COVID. That's where my wife is from and where her family lives. And so we were driving back from Sugar Land and, uh, like any good Aggies, we're going to drive through College Station as much as we can. Um, and so we were driving back through College Station, and uh, I looked at my my kids, and specifically my son, Hudson, who's three years old. And I pointed at Kyle Field to him, and I said, hey, buddy, it's going to be a hard fall for us. I said, but when COVID's over, I'm going to take you to Kyle Field. We're going to watch the Aggies, and I'll get you a Dr. Pepper and a hot dog, and it's going to be awesome. And that was out of sight, out of mind for me until... Uh, I would say I'm not exaggerating in the last several months. He has probably not exaggerating 50, 60, 70, 2000 times. I don't know. Walked up to me when I get home. This is how it goes. I'll walk into the door. He will run up to me and he will say, daddy, when the COVID over, we go to Kyle Field, watch the Aggies, drink a Dr. Pepper, eat a hot dog. And it's like, oh, daddy, when the COVID over, we go to Kyle Field, we drink a Dr. Pepper, we eat a hot dog and we watch the Aggies. And it's like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what is he doing? I know exactly what he's doing. He has faith in me. He has faith in what I said. And so he's saying the promise back to me. That's faith. He's saying the promise back to his father. Abraham, amidst hardship, never let go of what was promised to him. And again, I have to remind you of what we said at the beginning we're going to have to activate something because here's the activate faith in something because here's the huge question for us. What do we do against all hope? That's how the NIV translates it. What do we do against all hope? There are going to be times in our lives, maybe even right now, when the facts do not add up. 
When we are ridiculed for what we believe, when we feel alone, when we feel unheard, when we feel uncared for, when we feel unseen, when what you believe does not feel real, let alone desirable. And I can tell you as a Christian before I'm ever a pastor that it is frustrating. It has been frustrating in my life that God calls me to activate the most, the most faith in moments when that kind of faith actually seems impossible. I like faith when things are really easy. I mean, just my cards on the table. And yet I think there's this important reminder that we talked about here at the beginning. We don't get to not have faith. We always are going to have faith in something. Every moment we are actually believing something. And so here's this natural temptation. Are we going to run to God or are we going to run to something that numbs the pain? And that temptation looks like maybe this question, what can I avoid? What can I create? What can I manufacture to not sit in this hard thing? And you think about Abraham and Sarah, 25 years of waiting on this promise with old bodies and the social shame that came with it. And yet I think what their lives teach us, what people who are smart and mature, more mature than us, what they teach us is that faith has to take us through the pain. We cannot always avoid the pain. Faith has to take us there. And then there's this really key verse where I think this passage hinges on, and it's verse 20, where it says, no unbelief made him waver. Well, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean that Abraham had a perfect faith? No, like not hardly, not even a little bit. That's why we have to look to the next part, the last part, the legacy of Abraham's faith his counterintuitive example. Let me read verses 22 and 25. And this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That's huge. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's do a little bit of work here. Okay, so faith counted as righteousness. What does verse 21 say? It's Paul says that Abraham, this is huge. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Key in on that. He's fully convinced that God could do what he's promised. Verse 22, as a result, this is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Because here's what I'm trying to avoid like the plague right now to you. I'm trying to avoid a moralistic sermon because I have every opportunity to turn this into a moralistic sermon really fast. It's like, be like Abraham. Just don't ever waver in your faith. Just have faith all the time. Never struggle. Always believe perfect, perfectly. And here's the problem. Abraham wavered. Like, what? Like let's, let's dig into the real Abe, Okay. Genesis 12, he lies about who Sarah is. Go dig into that scandal. Gen uh, Genesis 15, he questions God about God's promise. Genesis 16, he tries to manufacture God's promise by sleeping with Hagar, Sarah's maid, okay? Abraham's faith isn't perfect, not hardly, not hardly. There are days of doubt. There are hard steps in the wrong direction, okay? But... He had real faith. What do I mean by this? No unbelief made him unwaver. I think the but there is huge. That is a huge contraction there. But he grew strong in his faith. 
No unbelief made him ultimately waver. He grew strong in his faith. Abraham could look at his mistakes, and through his mistakes, they would remind him of true north, that he would never give up ultimately trusting the promise. He would always find true north to be the ultimate promise. To say it another way, Abraham always bounced back. Here's why. Verse 21, because he was convinced that God could do it. He never wavered from that, even in seasons of doubt. His belief was in God and not himself. And that was counted to him as his righteousness, verse 22. But he lived in a fog. What do I mean by that? Well, what did he know? Okay, he knew, Abraham knew that a descendant would bring the promise. What do we know? Verses 23 and 25, who that descendant is. So what about Abraham's legacy? Abraham was a deeply flawed man with profound faith. But he actually believed God enough to yield control over to him and to stumble forward, believing the goodness of God all the days of his life. And God calls that his righteousness, the thing that makes everything okay again. Abraham's legacy is this. He models a counterintuitive example of how to gain the ultimate reward, to receive grace as a free gift and not try to earn it. This is the point Paul has been trying to make since Romans Chapter 3, verse 21. And what does that say of our own legacies? Well, one, we're to follow in the example of Abraham, belief in the same father, if you will. And then it begs a question what is it that actually makes us righteous? That's a huge question. It's faith in Jesus' life, right? But what is Jesus' life? Jesus' life is the culmination of his faith and his obedience. We are, faith, we are saved by the faith of Christ. Our faith is a gift because of the faith of Christ. And unlike Abraham and unlike every person in, the, in this room, Jesus Christ never wavered. And in that sense, he is the true Abraham. He is the man of perfect faith who was handed over for the trespasses of the faithless, of the faithless like you and like me. So what does this mean? Verse 25 It means that because he was delivered for our trespasses, our hearts can actually be regenerated from the gift his faith provides as we awaken to see his justification and what that means for all of us. Namely, the fact that the promise that the father accepts his sacrifice and because his sacrifice is accepted, we get to walk out of the grave with Jesus Christ himself. But there's this huge thing that we have to key in on, and that's verse 24, because it says it was written for us as well. Like, this is not just a story about Abraham, and this is not just a story about your neighbor or the person sitting next to you. This is a story about yourself, because what this is is an invitation to actually be righteous. And the thing that we fear, Shay and I talked about this, is as much work as we have to do with righteousness for you to understand it as a legal term, there is so much more going on to this idea of righteousness. Like what is righteousness? Righteousness is to have access to all you've ever wanted. It is to be face to face with God and to know that you are loved and you are forgiven and that his smile is upon you. It is to live for what you were created for. It is to be cherished. It is to be spoken for. It is to be free. It is to be loved and treasured and held and kept by God. That is the full extent of what it means to be righteous, to be right with God. And every day, 
Like, like to, to receive this gift by faith is counterintuitive because every day we live with people and we are people apart from the gospel who keep looking for righteousness in all the wrong places. We keep fighting, we keep competing, we keep exhausting ourselves, trying to achieve an identity that is actually ours by faith. One author, Ortland, says this, Christianity is counterintuitive because we are declared right with God, uh, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into the honest acknowledgement that we never will. We never will. And so like Abraham, we get to believe and we get to receive. We get to receive. Like instead of fighting and achieving and trying to compete, like we get to believe and receive the ultimate gift that God is big enough and kind enough to want to give it. And we are too small and too flawed to earn it ourselves. This is grace through faith. This is the ultimate reward. Believing God can actually save us. Faith counted as righteousness. That's the most compelling faith in the whole world. Let's pray. Lord, I um, pray, Lord, that as we... um, just sit under the weight of this, uh, just this counterintuitive uh, idea that, that we can be saved by coming to you and not trying to earn something that we could never earn, not trying to achieve something we could never achieve, but by actually receiving something as a free gift, Lord, the life of your son who we now celebrate, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage faith in our hearts now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.